thought I was going to get a nap in until my wife called. She was being very spiritual today. She went to a I Love Lucy production. So she had to call me and tell me about all the antics of Lucy and Fred. And Thank you. Amen. I, I, I want to do this. I'm, I'm shifting from what I, the direction I thought I was going to go this morning. And so I want to do it. And I, I just really felt I wanted to start here, not not really teaching or, or speaking from, but I just, I want to pray this, Psalm 119, not the whole psalm. Everybody's like, oh my gosh. I might get done by Wednesday. But I, I just, I want to start at verse 129 and just pray this. I was just praying this this afternoon and I just, I just felt like I wanted to pray it with you all. So we're going to pray together. I'm just going to kind of lead you as we pray through this. Lord, your your testimonies are wonderful and therefore our soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words give light. Parts understanding the simple to the ordinary. That's us, Lord. We're just the ordinary people. But you unfold your words. And they bring a light. They bring understanding. They, they illuminate our hearts. Tonight, Lord, we, we open our mouths and pant. We have a longing for your commandments. There's a longing in our soul, Jesus, to know you. There's a hunger and a thirst within us. And you said those who hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. So I believe you tonight, Lord, that as we long and as we pant for your presence and as we as we thirst and hunger to know you, that there will be a filling within us. That you will touch every heart here tonight in such a way that we will, we will bring a level of, of satisfaction. But when you touch our hearts, not only are we satisfied, but it spawns another level of hunger and thirst. Turn to us, O oh God. Be gracious to us as is your way with those who love your name. And we do love you, God, with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, with all of our soul. We do declare our love and longing for you. Keep our steps steady, O God, according to your promise. Your words, your promises to us are like an immovable foundation. And they steady our lives. They steady our steps. God, let no iniquity get dominion over us. In the day and the time and the culture that we are in, God, I thank you that we do not succumb to the seduction of the world. But our feet are fixed. Our lives are fixed. 
Redeem us from man's oppression that we may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon us, your servants. And God, I pray tonight that by the Spirit of God that you would teach us your statutes, teach us about the kingdom and the operation of the kingdom. This kingdom in which we live in upon the earth. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Go with me if you would please to Daniel chapter 9. And begin to look at some things here. Um, this is this is really kind of a prophetic message, but it's not in the sense of, you know, I'm not going to yee yay and Shandai Hikamo and some of those things. But it really is a, a prophetic message that helps us understand some of the things that God is prophetically doing today, and how God operates prophetically. Uh, when I began to study this, I don't know, I was moved to, to really um, be once again keen and competent to the things that, that God's doing some things. And, and God has some plans, and and those things are going to come to fruition no, no matter what. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. But Daniel chapter 9, verse 1. It said, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent a Mede, who was making who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books. Let me ask you a question. What are you perceiving in the book? What are you perceiving in the book? Have you had any perceptions lately from the book? Because that's what Dan Daniel was reading the scrolls. And as he was reading the scrolls, he perceived something. He saw something. See, this is... This is this is why we this is why we nag you to read the Bible. <laughs> this is why we provoke you, antagonize you, do whatever we got to do, you know, give you free tickets to the racer. I don't know. To get you to read your Bibles, you know, gift cards to Culver's, whatever it is. To get you to read your Bible. Why is it? Because if you if if you will, you'll be like Daniel who he said he was reading and he, and he perceived something from the book. See, that's what I want you to do. I want you to, every time you go to read it, I want you to understand that there is perception, there is insight that God wants to reveal to you, God wants to show you. You know, just as that psalm we prayed, you know, the entrance of your word brings light and gives understanding even into that, like the intrinsic, even into the ordinary. I'm just an ordinary man. And I like it that God wants to reveal his life and his heart and the insights, the riches of the kingdom to me, an ordinary man. To you, an ordinary man, woman. But the thing about it is, is that we have, to, we have to position ourselves into a place to see those things, to receive those things. Daniel was saying, I perceive some things in the book. 
The number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So Daniel began to see some things that Jeremiah had established several hundred years before him. And Daniel began to understand some things in a clearer way of what Jeremiah the prophet had said. See, that's what God, there's some things that God wants us to understand today that have been said years ago. Maybe some even into the ancient times. Maybe some things that were said back in the 30s and 40s, prophesied by great prophets. Maybe, you know, things like that. There are things that are being said, some things that God has said that he's wanting us to get and understand so that we can be like the sons of Issachar who had an understanding of the times and what Israel ought to do. Because, you see, when God reveals something to you, it's not just for the fact of saying, oh, I I see that. No, No, it's so that we can take action to it. It's so that we can participate. See, God didn't, God's desire is not that we be observers, but that would be, we would be kingdom participants of the earth. Verse 3, Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him my prayer and pleas as for mercies. Please, for mercy, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. See, there are just some things you're not going to get without getting serious. That's what fasting, and that's, that, that's why we do fasting, you know. What is it? it, it it's, 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 to, it's, it's a level of seriousness. It is to me because I like food. And so when, when God gives me an unction to fast, I'm like, okay, this is going to be serious, God, because... You know, I like food. So, and he said, verse 4, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. It was his confession of who would of Daniel and who and how and what what he knew of God. It was his confession. Listen to this. O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. You have to remember, he was making this declaration of God being a covenant God, God who was a benefactor to them, God who was a blesser and a provider to them. What? They were in captivity. He was under the oppression of the Persian captivity, the Babylonian Persian captivity. He, was in ca- he, wasn't, he wasn't even a free guy. And yet he's declaring all these things about God. What is it? He was declaring what he knew of God. Let's, let's, let's do this a little bit. Um, now, I'm going to preface this by saying, be nice, Abe. But, but give me some adjectives. Give me some things that would define your pastor. Give me some words. Yes. Generous. Strong. Help. Integrity. Pardon? Diligent. I know it's Kathy's not saying anything. but no, no. Caleb is. Well, Caleb, would you say? Highest <laughs> You give that man a prize. 
See, why, why can you give those adjectives? Why can you give those defining characteristics? Because you know him. How do you know him? Relationship. You're with him. You, you, you've, you've been exposed to him. You, you have this relational connection, this something that's just not superficial, but something that's, I'll use this word, intimate. You know him. You, 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 you see him day in and day out, week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out, for the last 30 years. By the way, which is phenomenal. I travel, I'm around a lot of churches. To have a pastor that's been in the same pulpit for 30 years is a rarity. It's a rarity for someone who's, who's stayed there and sacrificed and plowed and planted and cultivated and harvested and planted again. And over, you know, for 30 years, that, that's just sad to say it's getting to be a, too much of a rarity in, in today's culture. But nevertheless, so you know, see, let me ask you, give me some Character is some words that you know of God. Pardon? Amazing. Pardon? Loving. Everlasting. Pardon? Long-suffering. Generous. See, are, there, are those words, do they come from the same place? Do they come from the same depth of a relationship? An assurity? See, if I came and began to contend with you about the words, the characteristics, I said, well, you know, the only one of those adjectives or definitions that I really agree with was high-strung. I contend with the rest of those. I've seen him do this. I have See, would you, would you, you know, what basis would you have to defend those words? You have a basis, don't you? Same, do you have that same type of basis to defend the words that you gave of God? That they're not just mere words that you've read in the book, but they're actually encounters of things that you know of God. See, that's where Daniel's coming from. And that's what God, God is after. He's, he's after us to, to know him because of the, of the exposure that we've given our lives to the person of Jesus Christ and the presence of God. You know, I, I, I say this and sometimes, you know, trying to be a little humorous, but it, it, really in, it really is true for me. You know, there's some things about God I don't like. And I get concerned when people talk to me about God and everything, there's everything about God, they like everything about God. Because, you know, sometimes God demands things of me I don't like. Sometimes there's some things that God calls me to do that I don't like. 
It's like I teach young couples in premarital. Don't mistake liking for loving. Because there's going to be times in your life as a married couple that you're not going to like each other. There are times, believe it or not, my wife doesn't like me. I know you won't believe that. But there's never a nanosecond that she doesn't love me. And see, just because there's times that God commands and demands things of me I don't like, does not mean that there is a nanosecond of my life that I don't love Him with all my heart and strength and soul and mind. And that's what Daniel was saying. How do you know God? Because how we know God is imperative to knowing what and if what is moving and what is happening is God in our day and time right now. We know the characteristics of God. I know I know the character of, of Mike Gardner, Mike and Kathy Gardner. If somebody came to me and said, Oh, he was a cheat, he would, sold me this junky piece of antique and this thing was supposed to be made back in the eighteen hundreds and I got it home and flipped it over and it said it was made in China. I would say, well, then you got the wrong Mike Gardner because the Mike Gardner I know wouldn't do that. Why? Because I know his integrity. And so we see things in the, today that say, oh, this is God. You know, Jesus said in the last days, they would say, oh, Jesus is over here. Oh, Jesus is over there. Oh, Jesus is over here. And we have, you know, three quarters of the body of Christ running all over the place. You know, because why? Because they don't know him. Because I look at things and I say, that's not God. This is in my note. Let's, let's do this. Hold your finger here in Daniel. Let's go to Psalm chapter 50. I want to show you something. I've, I've encountered it through the years and working with people. Um, let's, let's start in verse 16. Uh, but to the wicked God says, What right have you to recite my statutes or take my covenant upon your lips? For you hate discipline and you cast my words behind you. If you see a thief, you are pleased with him and you keep company with adulterers. You give your mouth free reign for evil and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's sons. These things you have done and I kept silent. And because I was silent, you thought that I was altogether like you. See, I find a lot of people when I ask them, who is God? It's God-like. And by the time they get done, the God that they are describing to me looks a lot like them. Oh, God likes this. God's okay with this. God doesn't like this. What is it? It usually ends up it's all the things that they like and dislike. And so because they don't really know God, and God hasn't really said anything, God hasn't crashed into their life, with condemnation and judgment, that they think, well, God must be okay with it. And so they form this ideology, this picture of God, 
that he is a God that's okay with all these different types of evil, different things. And so, let's go back to Daniel. And so Daniel was saying, you're a great and awesome God. Even in the midst, this is just, I don't know, this just blows me away. Even in the midst of this captivity, even as God had, had allowed them to be taken captive by this polytheistic, debaucherous regime, Daniel's saying, you're a covenant God. You'll never leave us nor forsake us. That's what he's saying. You keep your... You're steadfast. You love us, God. I, I, mean, I mean, have you ever been to that place where you're going through stuff and you say, God, don't you, don't you care about me? Don't you care that I'm going through this? I mean, I think if anybody had a, a stake of legitimacy to do that, could probably have been Daniel and some of the other prophets because of the conditions that they were in. You know, because I look around, you know, our, our culture today, and I'm thinking, God, don't you care? Looks like we're going to hell in a handbasket here. Don't you care? And God says, keep saying, I'm a covenant God. My love for you is steadfast. See, I think some of you know my story, you know, almost five years ago. You know, my wife of 33 years died unexpectedly sitting on our couch. If ever there was a time that you can question some things in your life, I guarantee you it will be those kinds of times. But you know what I found myself? Not questioning God. The only question I ever asked God was, why was now her time? Because I quoted this verse this morning, Psalms 31.15, our times are in his hands. My wife's death didn't sneak up on God. Now, I don't believe in any way, shape, or form that God took her. I believe God received her. But I don't believe God took her. But you know, I, I, I was even a little bit, I've got to be honest with you, I was even a little bit amazed at myself. It's, it's one of the, the book I'm working on is Beauty in the Midst of Darkness. Because the beauty that I discovered in the midst of darkness was how much I trusted God. Because they didn't just conjure up that trust at that hour. It was years. It was days and weeks and months of years of walking and getting to know God. And you know one of the first things that God spoke to me? It's out of Romans 8.31. If God be for you, who can be against you? And it was like God saying to me, Mike, you got to understand even through all this, I'm for you. I'm for you. And what I discovered was even through the death of my wife, I still trusted and loved God and believed God with every ounce of my being. None of that ever diminished And see, that's where Daniel's at. 
And so because he was at that, he was able to go on. He was able to be used by God. See, that's the thing. If we're not careful, if we draw back, if we don't really understand God and things come along and things aren't working out the way we, that we thought they should or we not quite, if we're not careful, we will draw back and then God cannot use us in the measure that he wants to use us. So, God begins to show Daniel these things, these prophetic insights. Begins to help him understand what in, in, in March 4th and 444 B.C. that Jeremiah was talking about. Historians, because of writers like Josephus and others, and that's why uh, uh, some of the leading scholars remark a time of this weeks of Daniel's weeks to March 4th. 444 B.C. And so God begins to unveil to Daniel the weeks. Now what we do is we get messed up because we try to figure out these weeks according to our Gregorian calendar and it just doesn't work. You've got to understand the Gregorian calendar didn't come into our lives or, u- or into the usage until 1582. So Pope Gregory Thirteenth. So some almost 2,000 years after is when our Gregorian calendar comes in. So we try to figure out all these prophetic things of Daniel. By that, You can't. You have to go back and understand the, calendar, the Jewish calendar, which even God changed their calendar. If you go back to Leviticus chapter 23, God shifted their calendar. That's when God gave them the seven feasts, that they would live their life from these seven feasts, basically from the lunar calendar. Or the Jews still operate off of two calendars. They call the civil calendar and the religious calendar. The religious calendar is the lunar calendar from which the seven feasts of Jehovah were established. So if you start working with the calendar of the Jews, the religious calendar of Jews, and start working on these weeks, it comes out to be 173,880 days. So the title of my message is 173,880 Days of Decree and Faithfulness. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to move ahead 173,880 days. Which brings us to March 29th, 33 AD. You know March 29th? Because the whole prophecy about the weeks was about a coming Messiah, one who would come as a savior of the Jewish people, one who would come to be their deliverer. And he even prophesied that he's not going to come like you think he's going to come. Isn't it amazing? God foretold them, your king, your savior is not going to come like you think. And yet Jesus came and they still were messed up because they thought he was going to come and break the Roman tyranny off their life, that he was going to be a king that would sit in pomp and glory on a throne and decree from a scepter. And, and he did all those things, but he did not come to sit on the throne of man. He came to sit on the throne of God. And his scepter was not one of tyranny and dictatorship, but his scepter was one of righteousness and holiness. So we fast forward 173,880 days. It brings us to March 29th, 33 AD. You know what that is? 
Matthew 21. Turn to me with Matt, to Matthew 21. Verse 1, now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus sent two of his disciples ahead and go into the village and ask for the donkey, blah, 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 blah. And then what? Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. It's what we know as a triumphal entry. What was it? It was the same exact words that Jeremiah had prophesied to the same exact day that Jeremiah had prophesied that the king would come. Not in just a general, but exactly 173,880 days later, the Savior rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. Not with a lot of pomp, not with the pomp and the chariots and everything. He rode in on a lowly, and he rode on a beast, a burden. Just as Jeremiah had prophesied and just as Daniel had prophesied. We know this day as Palm Sunday. Now we've just had Easter. Somebody give me the date of Palm Sunday this year. Want to take a guess? It was March 29th. And I'm reading and studying this. And I come unglued. Because I think this Palm Sunday, God release some prophetic operations for our time. I believe that God released some specific things that are in our days to come. I don't know. I don't know if it will come about in 173,880 days from March 29th. But even as Daniel and Jeremiah, in a little bit we'll look at over in Hebrews, but even as those who saw the promises of God, but yet didn't get to participate in, but yet they were still fully engaged in that, my friends, is the faith that we need to have. We need to be fully engaged. We need to see what God is doing and be fully engaged in it. Because we have a part to do, just as Jeremiah and Daniel had a part to do. They didn't get to see the Messiah face to face, but they had a part in the Messiah coming. We may not get to see some of the things that God is going to do on the earth face to face. But bless God, I'm going to make sure I'm doing my part. So that everything that God desires to happen will happen. Maybe it's my grandkids that are going to get to experience it. But I want my grandkids to look back and say, I'm so glad Grandpa did that. I'm so glad that he did what he did. I'm so glad that my grandpa obeyed God 
and left all the security and the comfort and stepped out in faith and went and did what he did because it played a part in what God is doing in the earth today and what we're getting to experience. See, it's back to we have to quit we have to quit being selfish and thinking about us. We have to begin to think about the next generation for my friend, the nine-year-old soccer player. See, there's some things that I have to be responsible to fulfill so that my friend, the nine-year-old soccer player, will be able to experience the things that God has planned for his life and his generation. See, because you have to realize this, that there are things in operation. There are operations of God, prophetic operations of God that are working. And there, there is a place called Brad and Courtney in the operations of God. That he needs you to do and to see Isaiah 46.10 says that God declares the end from the beginning. Stop and think about this. God has declared the end from the beginning. In other words, God's already been in your future. And he knows where your destiny is located and how to get you there. So think about that. Because I believe that, because I understand that and believe that, that's the reason that I stay very close to Jesus. Why? Because he's already been where I'm going and he knows how to get me there, where it's at and how to get me there. Now, how many of you have a GPS? Some kind of, you know, either on your, you know, your phone or in your vehicle or whatever. You know, I have an app on my phone. And it helps me get to where I need to go. But sometimes I take a wrong road. And when I take a wrong road, my app says, recalibrating, redirecting. You are being redirected. We call that grace. (laughs) And there are times, I don't know about you, but there are times where the Holy Spirit is saying, Mike, you've gotten off here. I need to redirect you. But guess what never changes? My destination, your destination. God's desired destination never changes. Sometimes we get misdirected. We get on a wrong road. But God in His grace and His mercy comes by the Holy Spirit and says, I'm redirecting you. I need to show you that you need to go a different way. And God just doesn't throw up His hands and say, they're never going to make it. They're just never going to make it. 
You know what's interesting in my marriage is that my wife is a terrible map reader and I'm a good map reader. Usually it's the other way around as guys don't read maps, do we? We're hunters. We will find Cabela's. I don't need a nap or a nap. I need a nap. I don't need a map. I can find Cabela's. So an hour and a half later, We're still at Walgreens. What is that? See, it's interesting because it kind of role reverses it. So she'll always say, you read the map. Don't give me all the, you read the map. And that's what we need to do with our lives. Jesus, Holy Spirit, you read the map. I'll just follow the directions you give me. Okay? You just give it, you know. But the thing about it is, is what? We've got to pay attention. We've got to Listen. And sometimes remove the distractions that are in our lives. I've been meditating on this scripture. Sometimes be still and know that He is God. Be still and know. Be still and know. In stillness is where we get insight. In stillness is where we revelation in stillness is where God reveals. And so today in our culture we wear this badge of honor of busyness. Busy, 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 busy. We, you know, I'm, a, I'm, you know, I am, you know, the quintessential multitasker. I can do all these things. And we wear it as a badge of honor. And, and we never stop. Be still and know. To be still and know. I was recently in this group and we were praying together and a part of the prayer time was that we were going to take five minutes of silence. And oh, it was awkward. It was so awkward. People were like. (laughs) So I'm sitting there. And my head's racing. My mind's going. And all of a sudden the spirit of God breaks through with that scripture. Be still. And know. Lord said I want to reveal. I want to talk to you. I want to reveal some things to you. I want to show you some things in this stillness, this quietness. I want to let you see some things in this quietness. And so I encourage you, be still and know that He is God. Be still. speak to you. One of the greatest means of communication is listening. Listening. See, I think some of the reasons we don't know God is because I remember a story years ago I heard. Rufus Mosley. Did you ever hear of that one? Rufus Mosley. He was an old time 
Pentecostal preacher back in the late 1800s, certainly the early 1900s. And he said this. He said he was laying on on the, the floor of his wood floor of his hotel room, and and uh, he was in the city doing revival meetings. And it was afternoon. He would spend all of his afternoons praying. And he was laying. And he says, "I found myself laying on the floor." And he says, "All of a sudden, I realized something." He said, here lies a man who knows nothing before the one who knows everything. And the one who knows nothing is doing all the talking. And I learned from that. I learned that a good part of prayer is listening. Because that's when God begins to download to us. And reveal. Try it. Try me out. Try it. Just take five minutes. You will be, you know, oh, five minutes. Yeah, right. Five minutes. No, try it. Just five minutes of quiet. With the intent of ministering unto God, just listening ministering unto God. We need that today because God is is wanting us to understand the times and the culture that we are in. See, your God-ordained purpose and prophetic destiny just doesn't suddenly happen. You're lived out day by day, month by month, year by year. And, and really our lives are a process of planting cultivating, and harvesting. Planting, cultivating, and harvesting. You know the, 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 the most challenging element of that is the cultivating. Because that's typically the longest season. You know, growing up in high school, I, was, I worked on farms and it was always, you know, the planting time of the year was always excitement. You're getting out there and you're breaking up the ground. And that's before they did the no-till, you know. And you're out there and you're planting and you're getting the seeds in the ground and everything. The other most exciting time of the year was, was harvest. You know what I liked about working on farms? It's how much they fed you. I've been talking about food a lot, like I'm a food junkie. But, man, those women would feed you well, you know. It's like a hobbit. You get second breakfast. So, but you know what was really arduous? The cultivating. You know, walking beans, pulling weeds. But that time is the most important time because it will determine, the cultivating season will determine the yield of the harvest. And typically, what we do, especially in dealing with the prophetic works of God, is we get impatient. And so what happens is we get out there and we try to make a harvest happen. And the Psalms 1 says that the problem is is bearing fruit before its season. Sometimes what we do in the church is we try to move into things before God says it's season whether that's a church, whether it's our individual lives. We try to move into a time before it's seasoned to bear fruit. 
And that's what gets us into trouble. Why? Because we don't like process. We've become a very impatient culture. We don't like patience and process. I work with young guys a lot in the ministry, a lot of 20 and 30-year-olds. And you know what they disdain? Process. I want to go into the ministry. Okay? I want to be a senior pastor. Okay? Of a large church. Like several thousand. Okay? Great and noble, you know, pursuit. But here's what we need to do. Oh, no, no, you don't understand. I don't want to do that. I just want a senior pastor because you know why? I like the vehicle they drive and I like the clothes they wear. I literally have had, I would, when I was at Word Life, we had a two-year discipleship school. And so we had a lot of these young people come there, you know, and the whole thing was around developing, get, preparing people for ministry. And I dealt with this all the time, young people. It was just, I don't want to do that. I don't want to read my Bible. I don't want to study. I don't want to learn disciplines. I just like the, the, the clothes and the car that the pastor drives and all the people that show up on Sunday to listen to him. That's what I like. I don't want to go through 20 years of process like he did. I don't want to go through 30 years of process like he did, like they did. I don't want to do that. And sometimes that's what we do with God. God says, I have this prophetic mandate. I have this timeline all laid out. This thing from the ancient of days. I have all this thing. And you, know, you have a part in this and everything. God, I don't want to do that. The truth about breakthroughs is that they are grown. Do you know that? Breakthroughs are grown. They're like a crop. They're planted and cultivated and ultimately harvested. So what's that mean? You have a part in the breakthroughs in your life. A lot of times people think, well, that guy just kind of sprinkles this, you know, Holy Ghost dust, and the breakthrough comes, boom. No, you have a part of because breakthroughs are a process of planting, cultivating, and harvesting. You know, Jesus didn't suddenly happen. He was the manifestation of the planting, the cultivating, and the harvesting of God that the prophets had seen and spoken about. Stop and think about that. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 11. What, what time do we need to be done, Mike? What time did we... I don't want to... <laughs> okay, we'll just go a few more minutes. Hebrews chapter 11. Somebody stole the Hebrews out of my Bible. Look at verse 13. This is, you all know Hebrews 11. It's this, you know, we call it the, the hall of faith. The writer of Hebrews is 
chronicling the, all those who were in our history of being great women and men of faith. In verse 13, he said, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Let me read that again. These all died in faith. Not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. They had seen them and greeted them from afar. What are the things that you were seeing today? You know, there are some things that I'm seeing that I realize that I probably, unless, you know, Jesus comes and changes everything, which you can at any moment. But there are some things that I'm seeing that I understand that I probably won't get to experience the fullness of the fruit of it, the harvest of it. But I'm working very hard to do my part to make sure that it happens. That's why I work with these young guys, these 20 and 30-year-olds. Because I believe that they are probably going to be the ones that very well will be the ones reaping the harvest. But that doesn't mean that my part is any less. I like this. These all died in faith. You know, that, I, I think that's almost what I want on my tombstone. He died in faith. He never wavered. He never quit. Faithful until the end. He died in faith. What, what an honor that is. What an honor that is. What, what an honor that declaration right there is. They died in faith. What? Because they saw some things and they greeted them from afar, meaning yes. They said yes to them. And that's what every generation... See, every generation is responsible for its own encounter with God. Every generation is responsible for their own encounter with God. See, I can't live off the generation. I can't live off of their encounter. I can learn and grow from it, but I, got, I need to have my own encounter with God. And so I, I need to do the next generation. Brad, Brad, how old are you? 34, okay. You're kind of a little bit younger than me. But you, you need to have your own encounter. Your generation needs to have her own encounter. Okay. And then my nine-year-old soccer friend over here. See, he needs to, his generation needs to have their own encounter with God. Why is that? Because we build our revelations of God, build successively and prophetically upon every generation. Because if not, then what we do, we begin to limit and contain the revelation, the understanding of God, who God is to just a generation. But again, I can't say this enough. 
every generation has the responsibility of what they encounter with God to make sure it's passed on to the next generation. The Bible says that every generation has a responsibility of the stewardship of the truths of God, the word of God. See, I take that very serious, that I have a responsibility to make sure that this word is imparted to the degree that I know and understand it to the next generation. Why is that? Because God is using that to fulfill his prophetic timetable. We see historically what happened. There was 490 years that God did not speak. And when God did not speak, when God was not revealing to themselves, the people got all messed up. And we cannot let that happen. Right? Now I'm going to read you this other verses out of Hebrews 11. This comes from the message. I like the way it's verse 39 and 40 out of the message. Hebrews 11, 39. Not one of these people, even though their lives of faith were exemplary, got their hands on what was promised. God had a better plan for us that their faith and our faith would come together to make one complete whole. Their lives of faith not complete apart from ours. That's what I've been saying. That's how God works prophetically. He reveals things to one generation. And then what we do is we grab hold of hands to the next generation. And see, come, come with me. Tell me your name again. Ben. See, what happens is God calls me and reveals things to me. And my faith is, and, 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 and he speaks to Ben some things in faith. And, and then what we do is we grab hands and we begin to walk forth into the prophetic desire of God. But there is a day, because I'm a little bit older than Ben, that pretty soon what happens is that I go away and Ben keeps going. And then what happens Ben grabs the hand of the next generation. And you know what I'm doing? I'm up here in heaven going, that's my man, Ben. You should have seen what we did when we were on the earth. And he's carrying forth that which you gave me, God, and I gave him. And now Ben's carrying forward, and he's giving what I gave, was able to impart to him, and now he's got it, and not only that, but what you gave him, and now he's given that to the next generation. So the next generation of, under Ben has got what, what Mike had and what Ben had, and now what they got. You see how this successively and prophetically builds? That's why we can't just cruise. That's why we can't just come to church. Thanks, Ben. And my friends, that's, that's the picture that I have. That's what God's doing on the earth today. Now, final thing. You all understand that we're in an interesting time? Could you say amen to that? 
And I, I, I've, been, I've been trying to <clears throat> find words to describe it. And, and so I was using this, what I call a sterile word, is shift. There's like this shift going on. But I was, just, I was just with someone recently and they really gave me the words to use for this that I thought was so good. He was talking about in one of his trips to Paris and how he was taking the, the train from Notre Dame to another historic site. And, and so you got to you know, get on the train and this, this train only goes so far and then you got, you got to get off and, and then you got to try to find the other plane. He said he was like, you know, he's on the train and he takes it to this plane and he gets off and get on the platform. He's looking for the signs and trying to, everything's in French. And he said, I don't speak French. And so I'm trying to figure out what these signs are all saying, trying to see if I could pick up on at least a word in French that would help me understand which train I need to get on next in the midst of all this mass of people on the platform and everybody's kind of moving around and all this. And he says, I feel like that's where we're at today. And I thought, boom, that's it. That's the word picture that I needed. And that's where we're at today. And we're all on the platform and, and we're trying to figure out which, what the sign, which, which was God saying to, to help us know which the next train is to get on that will take us further, that will take us to the next prophetic destination that God has for his people. And see, the thing about it is, is that we're all at different places and stages and, and things because there's things individually for you in your own lives that God has for prophetic plans and purposes. And, and you need to understand where those and you need to, to really you know, know which train to get on. Because all of that is a part of God bringing his, his body a destination and that's why I wanted to share this message with you tonight that's why I felt as I was praying this afternoon because I was going to go a different direction and I couldn't get away from this and I, I knew I had to share this with you tonight and, and I hope you're catching what I'm saying it's, it's, it's a time that we have to be really Well, as Psalm 119 said, that we need to be salivating for the things of God, for the heart of God, for the wisdom of God, for the directions of God. Because I will tell you, the times, my friend, are changing. He quoted Dylan Lund. The world is changing. If you feel that, you see that. I mean, you watch the you know any of the you know, global news and everything. The world's changing. But God's prophetic purpose, God's prophetic plan, hasn't changed. And so, what we need to do is, again, I'll close with it's Daniel was in captivity in one of the most you know ungodly cultures but yet God said here's what I want 
So in one sense, I do, but in one sense, it's like, I don't really care about what's going on in the culture. Because you know what? God's desire is not going to change. God's ultimate plan is not going to change. I don't think God's going to, oh my gosh. I didn't see that coming. I didn't know she was going to run for president. I didn't see that coming. I didn't know Netanyahu was going to say that. Man, I thought the Chinese were going to do something different. No. God has insight to all of that. But yet all of that does not change his prophetic timeline. I don't know about you, but that brings confidence to me because then what I do is pursue to walk along with that prophetic timeline. That's my pursuit. And that's what I encourage you to do. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Hallelujah. Lord. Holy Spirit. Give us eyes to see. Give us a heart to understand. And give us the strength to fulfill everything you're calling us to do in these times in Jesus' name. Amen.